The book that we're using is called 50 Core Truths of the Christian Faith by Greg Allison. Uh, I recommend it to you highly. I've been reading the book. I'm probably four or five chapters in. The chapters are small enough, short enough, that you could use them as a part of your devotion in the morning. I don't know how much time you have in the morning. Uh, for me, I have about an hour and a half before I have to be anywhere once I get up. And so typically I can get my Bible reading done and then something else. And this is a good option. Uh, it's well written and um, I think will be very helpful and we'll use it as a guide. It also would be a good reference tool for you just for uh, the basic truths of Christianity. Uh, nothing esoteric, but it's just some of the foundational truths um, so you can... It's not one of those books where you have to start at chapter 1 and read through the chapter 50. You can go to the index or uh, look, look at the subject matter and flip over to the doctrine of God and read about uh, his incommunicable attributes of God or whatever. And it can be very helpful if you sometimes run up on a question, somebody asks you something about God, they know you're a Christian, and you don't really have the answer right off uh, the top of your head. What you don't need to do is go Google it, because who knows what craziness you'll find on the Internet. Uh, you want to make sure you're, you're uh, going to trustworthy sources. And uh, just, as a, just as a part of that, we do have a new website here uh, at the church. And we will be uh, adding to that resources for Anyone that wants to find things, uh, articles, books, recommendations on different topics that come up in life so that uh, if you have a question of something and somebody asks you, they know you're a Christian, they want to know what do you think about uh, what does the Bible say about the Trinity or what, does, what do Christians believe about adoption. And hopefully over the course of time, our website will be a resource that you can go to you know that the things we recommend will have been vetted by the pastors. Uh, there's not just something we are cutting and pasting, something we believe in. And so we want to make that a resource for our church and just for, for anybody that is looking for better and good information. We also will be adding to that from time to time, uh, not just articles, but book recommendations. Uh, a lot of you probably like to read. Some of you want to be people that like to read. Uh, Time gets away, but reading is one of those disciplines you can learn by just carving out uh, time. For me personally, every night around 9 o'clock, um, I'll go and read from 9 to 10. And that is just a discipline in my life, a built-in. Now, usually that time I'm not reading anything that's like theological. I'm normally reading some sort of history or biography or something. But you can build that into your life so that over the course of time, even if it's just 20 minutes, you, you'll be surprised at what you can get through if you read 20 minutes a day uh, in a book and how many of those you can read. But anyway, that's my commercial for reading and this book. Hope that you'll use it and get a hold of it. I think we sold out in the bookstore. Um, did anybody know we sell out? We sell out. You can, I mean, are you okay? She got the last one? Would you like for me to sign it for you? <laughs> you, you can probably uh, get that on Amazon or somewhere. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not. We don't make any money on them. We're just selling them for what we get them, so you can get them anywhere. Something else I'd like to uh, call your attention to 
is the schedule for the pastor's class. There's a little handout. Um, you may or may not have picked it up on the way in. This gives you sort of the breakdown. Some of you like to plan ahead, like to read ahead, want to be aware of what's happening at the pastor's class. This is the rundown of what we'll be doing each Wednesday night. So you'll know if you like to be prepared, you can read and be here and ready to listen. Now, there is something I want to call your attention to. You'll notice that uh, October the 31st, you see October the, 30, the 31st, there are no Wednesday night activities. Now, I, I don't want you to think we have canceled church for Halloween. Right, the last thing I need is people walking around saying, you know what, uh, there are probably a bunch of devil worshipers over there to cancel church for Halloween. That is not what is going on. What we hope to do is make that night, Wednesday night, which is October the 31st, uh, it will be Halloween. Why don't we call it uh, Reformation Day? It's also Reformation Day for those of you that like history. Um, there are going to be people that would not normally come to your house, coming to your house. Possibly many of them with their children. We want to, building up to that day, uh, train ourselves with good literature and resources so that we can be witnesses to people that are coming to us. It doesn't happen very often. We're going to utilize uh, that night as a gospel witness in our respective communities. So more about that later, but I didn't want you to see it and think, ah, oh, they're canceling church for Halloween. We're not doing that. Okay, are there any other commercials I need to give you? I don't think there are. Why don't we pray and let's get started. I'm going to start with the scripture in 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. If you were here on Sunday mornings when I preached through the five solas, that is the five onlys, what are the five core beliefs of Protestants? We believe that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Bible alone, to the glory of God alone. And one of those souls I preached, and I preached from 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me read it to you, and then we'll pray. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 and 17. All Scripture, that's the Bible, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word that you've given us, and we pray that you might guide our discussion tonight. Help us to think clearly so that we might love you more, we might live for Christ more, we might have a better idea of who you are and how we can honor you with our lives. And so, Lord, use the word tonight to speak to us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight we talk about the inspiration and truthfulness of the Bible. The inspiration and truthfulness. Why do we as Protestants, and more specifically us as Baptists, why do we put such a high emphasis on the Bible? There are a lot of you here that have your children in Awana. How many of you have kids in Awana tonight? Okay. Awana is not just a children's program. It is specifically designed to get as much Bible inside of our children as we possibly can 
in the shortest amount of time. So why are we such fanatics? Well, it's important for us to understand our history. So here we are in 2018 as one of the more conservative, and when I say conservative, I don't necessarily mean politically, I mean theologically. One of the most theologically conservative churches in this city. Why? In the 17 and 1800s, when the First Great Awakening happened and the Second Great Awakening happened, almost everyone that called themselves a Christian believed that the Bible was true. By the time we got into the 1850s, the Southern Baptist Convention was born, we as Southern Baptists did not have a confession of faith. In fact, from the very beginning, what we said was that the Bible was our sole rule for faith and practice. We did not submit ourselves to creeds. We submit ourselves to the Bible. That doesn't mean they're not confessions. There have been Baptist confessions all along the way. There was a London Baptist Confession, a Philadelphia Baptist Confession, the Charleston Baptist Confession, and then finally in the 1830s, a New Hampshire Baptist Confession. And the New Hampshire Baptist Confession became sort of our... It became our confession of faith if we had one. We ratified it in 1925. 1925 is important for American Baptist history because... By the 1920s, the theological liberalism that was coming out of Germany, coming out of Germany, the theological liberalism that drove people to stop taking the Bible as God's word and start dissecting it historically, it came out of Germany, it went into the seminaries. We have six seminaries as Baptists, six of them that we support. And even our seminaries started to move away from taking the Bible as God's Word. Eventually, the Presbyterians fell, the Methodists fell, the Episcopalians, they fell early. All of the the Lutherans, the more liberal side of the Lutherans, fell, so that all of them that used to have a gospel, like Baptists have, used to have a gospel believing in the inerrancy of Scripture and the need for salvation through Christ alone, All of them faded because they stopped believing that the Bible was the Word of God. And in the 1920s, it started to invade Baptist. We've always been a a little bit of an agricultural. We've started moving into the cities. Always been uh, behind the curve when it came came to education and, and being sort of upper crust. We've just not ever been that. We've always been about middle class. In the 1920s, in, in order to press, up, press the class stature up, Baptists started looking away from the Bible and into some of that German higher criticism scholarship. It affected things. Some of the commentaries started coming out. Some of the fundamentalist Baptists started uh, ridiculing us. The, the most famous was a man named J. Frank Norris. He would be worth, if you like biographies, uh, there's a book called The Shooting Salvationist. It's about J. Frank Norris. He was the pastor of First Baptist Church, Fort Worth, Texas. He's called The Shooting Salvationist because he killed a man with a handgun in his office. And, and he was uh, found innocent. Now, it's worth reading. Shot, shot the man in the back with a handgun in his office and was not acquitted. I guess maybe that's Texas. I don't know. But he, 
Anyway, it's a, it's a great book to read. He was a screaming fundamentalist, and Baptists started to react. And that's why in 1925, we came up with the Baptist faith and message, BFNM. It came out of the New Hampshire Confession of Faith. BFNM g- gave a statement of what we believe, and more specifically, about the Bible. It didn't stop the, the theological liberalism that started to invade the churches, churches around this city, churches that are in this city right now that used to be uh, theologically conservative have gone off the rails completely. Something had to be done. So those that believe the Bible in our own denomination got together in 1976. Several of them, leaders in the Southern Baptist Convention, got together in Café du Monde in New Orleans, Louisiana, and came up with a plan. 1979, we had our first conservative, theologically conservative, president of the Southern Baptist Convention. His name was Adrian Rogers. Anybody ever heard Adrian Rogers preach? Probably have. Uh, Really fascinating. And then for the next 10 years, you had to have it 10 years in a row in order to affect change in the denomination because in our denomination... Southeastern Seminary in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Southern Seminary in in Louisville. New Orleans Seminary. Southwestern Seminary. Way out Golden Gate Seminary. Midwestern over in Missouri. Every one of them had taken a shift so that at Southern Seminary in 1980, only 47% of the students that were going to be going and leading churches believed in the divinity of Jesus. That's how far and how real it had become. 1979, the battle started to rage in our own denomination, and the conservative, theologically conservatives, started to fight to get it back. So that every single year after 1979, 12 years in a row, uh, there were theologically conservative presidents of the Southern Baptist Convention that appoint the committees that then put people on the boards that then lead our seminaries. For instance, I am on the board at Southern Seminary, largest seminary in the world, Southern Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm the vice chairman of the board, and they would not put a liberal in there. They asked me to be on it. Why? Because they think I'm a conservative, and they're right. Think I believe the Bible, right? So, So that happened over the course of time. Meanwhile, people in our own denomination that did not believe that the Bible was infallible left, broke off, and started two different denominations. One called the Alliance of Baptists. It's a very small, it's about 1,800 churches or so. The Alliance of Baptists. And the other broader one is called the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. Both of them, since leaving In the late 80s and early 90s, both of them have now denied the inerrancy of Scripture. I went to the Alliance of Baptists, their website today, and uh, they don't don't believe anything. So once you, the, the reason it's important to us, because once you start down the slope, you know that little phrase, slippery slope, is used way too much. But the truth is, it is true. And so as we look at this outline, I want to give you a summary about what we believe about the Bible. The summary is right there in front of you. It's the first one. All Scripture, this is what we believe. All Scripture is God-breathed. Remember, we just read it in in 2 Timothy. All Scripture is God-breathed because the Holy Spirit superintended. 
What a great word. Think about a superintendent, someone that is in charge, is in control of, managing, superintended the biblical authors as they composed their writings. That's a summary of what these two chapters say. It's a summary of what we believe. It's a summary of why we do the things we do with the Bible. That's, there is a reason behind when you walk into our sanctuary and when you look at the front and what you see there is a big wooden desk that lets you know right off the bat, if you don't know anything about church, you know that something important is going to be going on right there. That's why on Sunday mornings when it comes time to read the Bible, we stand up. Why do we do it? Because it's not just a book we're reading from. We believe that indeed this is God has breathed out. In fact, 2 Timothy 3, that verse, verse 16, is where we get that God breathed. It's theos, noustos, it's the breath of God. In fact, inspiration is not, the word inspiration is really not strong enough. It should be expiration, expire, to, to breathe out. Because scripture is the product of, of the creative breath of God. It is God exhaling. And one of the greatest privileges you have of your life is you get to open a book that is the display and embodiment of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit speaking. Okay, well, that's just me talking. What about Jesus' view? Let's go to number two. Jesus' view of Scripture. Do you have that on your outline? Yeah. Notice the, the scripture there, Jesus' view. Now, in, in Matthew 19, Jesus is describing and talking about marriage. This is really good to look at uh, on another topic. If you were to think about marriage, what did Jesus say about marriage? And so, because people want to know, well, I don't want to just hear what the Bible says. What does Jesus say? Here's a good spot to talk about marriage. And notice Jesus, he's reaching back to the Bible. He reaches all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. And notice what he says in Matthew 19, verses 4 and 5. He answered, Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Okay, don't think about marriage for a moment. Think about what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is quoting Moses who wrote Genesis, and he's saying that is God speaking. Did you follow the logic on that? Jesus is quoting Genesis, and in this passage, Jesus himself is saying that is God speaking. You find it also in, in John chapter 10, John chapter 10, verse 35, I've just sort of plucked this out of a conversation Jesus is having, and he's quoting Psalms here, and he says, If he, God, called them gods to whom the word of God came, and Scripture, look at that little phrase, Jesus said it, Scripture cannot be broken. So it's God speaking. This is just Jesus. This two little verses, Jesus' view on the Bible is God speaking, and it can't. Be broken. So with that in mind, let's go into some of our major affirmations. Major affirmations. Did everybody get a sticker uh, for your car? Did anybody figure out how to put it on their car? It's really hard to figure out. I've destroyed a couple of them. Finally, I had to ask somebody to put one on there for me. 
Let's look at the, what are our affirmations? What do we, as Christians, what do we affirm? I'll give you a couple of them. Well, more than a couple, about four or five or six. Here are our major affirmations. Number one, or A on your outline, that is, we affirm divine authorship. Divine authorship. What we mean by that is we genuinely do believe that the Bible comes from God. That it not only is um, human authorship, we'll get to that, but listen to what Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Peter writes, No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. It's not just man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What a great verse to give us. Just, I mean, I'll just give you one of them that gives us our standing. Why do we think that the Bible is divinely authored? Well, there's the Bible attesting to itself. Not only that, I'll steal something from uh, Dr. Powers for next Wednesday. He'll talk about the uh, authority and, and efficacy of the Bible. And one of the things that we are reminded of is that when you deal with the Bible and you're reading the Bible, what you have there is the Holy Spirit speaking. It is a genuinely Trinitarian act to open the Bible and hear from God. It is Him speaking to us. If you believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit... To the glory of God the Father, through Jesus the Son, we hear from Him through the Spirit that comes to us from the Bible. Divine authorship. But not just divine authorship. We also affirm that the Bible didn't just fall from heaven. Some of you think that the King James Version just fell from heaven. The Bible didn't just fall from heaven. God used people. We affirm. One of our major affirmations is human authorship. You see that? And I didn't put a scripture there because I think, I think that passage, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, I think it gives us not just divine authorship, I think it gives us, I think it gives us human authorship. I mean, think with me just for a moment. Think about Moses, how he wrote, wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, right? They're very similar. Or Jeremiah, who was a genuine person who wrote the book of Jeremiah, God spoke through him, and then on into Lamentations. Or, or Matthew or Paul. All of them, when you read their writings in the Bible, these 66 books, each, each man was fully engaged in the writing process. And all of that happened under, this is my new word, I never have used this word before. I'm real happy with it. All under the superintending. I'm going I'm to throw that out a bunch of times. I, I used loquacious this last week. Nobody was impressed with that. Superintending. The superintending work of the Holy Spirit. Let me give you something else we affirm. One, one of our major affirmations is uh, here on, the, on your Bible, I mean on your paper is C, plenary. Plenary inspiration. That's not something you walk around talking about very much. But that word plenary means it's absolute. It is unqualified. All, that all of the Bible is inspired. Plenary means all. That every bit of it is inspired. Isn't that what 2 Timothy 
3 says that all, you see that word, all? If you, if you look it up in the original language, in Greek, it means all, right? It's all. All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it, all of it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, all of it. Now, this is important. Some of you are saying, okay, I mean, why, why are you, we already believe this. This is something we have to hold on to because inspiration is not just confined to what you might think are the important parts of Scripture. And, and we're all willing to say that the Bible has parts of it that, that are much more meaningful and speak to much more important issues than other parts. The genealogies you read through are not necessarily as important as some of the theology in Romans when it comes to being saved. And what we believe, the plenary inspiration, means that we believe that all of it is inspired, not parts. That the stories about Adam and Eve, Jesus spoke about them. The stories about Adam and Eve are true. That the story about Noah and the ark is true. So that when we look at these stories, we don't take the stories and say, well, these stories have to prove themselves to science. No, as believers in the Bible, we flip that over and say, science has to prove itself to these stories. Because we believe that this is true. That Jonah genuinely was actually swallowed by a big fish. This, this gives you great confidence as you read it. It also gives us trouble because when I'm reading... Uh, the passage on, so I go through 1 Samuel, on into 2 Samuel, and before David becomes king, Saul has lost his mind. He's so mad with David, and he wants him killed. David is running uh, through the country, and Saul, after saying, you can't have mediums and witches, he goes to visit the witch at Endor. Y'all read that story? And she conjures up Samuel from the dead. Oh, that is a really weird story. I also believe it to be absolutely true. So it, just because something is problematic for us doesn't mean we can negate the veracity of it, right? I believe the, the Latin phrase, creatio ex nihilio, that God created not with substance that was already there, but that he instead created the substance that made the earth, that he created earth out of nothing. So, so, as I say that, something to consider. Not every part of the Bible will be equally moving to you. Not every part of the Bible. Sometimes you're going to read the Bible and you're going to say, I just didn't get anything out of that. But the truth is, there may be something, nothing there to get out. It's just a statement of fact. So, let me give you an analogy. I don't, when, in the morning I have my devotion, I don't come out of my office after reading the Bible every morning having been moved to tears because of what I've read. I don't get done with my Bible reading in the morning every single time and think that was the most amazing thing I've ever read. But the truth is, I don't walk away from every meal I ever eat thinking that was the most amazing thing I've ever eaten. There are times when I have a meal and it's just nourishment. 
In fact, I can't tell you what I had two weeks ago on a Tuesday. I don't know. For me personally, I would just eat the same thing over and over and over. Kind of cooked some chicken on Sunday. It was good. I liked it so much. Let's have it again on Monday. That was really good. Can I have it again Tuesday? Just kept having the same thing. I don't know what I'll get tonight. Probably some chicken. <laughs> Why? Because it's nourishing. Sometimes it's just a meal that you don't go on and on about how great the meal tastes. You just know you had a meal and you have to eat to live and you need that nourishment for the day. You won't always remember every single meal. But we believe that it is a meal. Not all of it is moving, but all of it. All of it from Genesis, we trust, from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation, all of it is breathed out by God. Do you have a question? Yeah, so with those passages that you're just referring to, do they fall into the category of training in righteousness? So it's just the discipline, it's to discipline our minds, it's to take our flesh to God, you know, so in those situations. Yeah, that the, the, the scripture is profitable for that. That verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy, that, that's what, um, I think you're absolutely right. Right, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the word of God is breathed, it, the Bible is breathed out and it is profitable for those things. Even when it doesn't feel like it's necessary, necessarily profitable. Plenary inspiration, but I want to press further into another uh, view of, of inspiration and that is verbal inspiration, verbal inspiration. This is uh, important to get your, your head around a little bit. Let's go to what, um, what Jesus says. Now notice what Jesus does here. Verbal inspiration means that we believe that God breathed out the Bible and and that extends to the actual words of Scripture. Not just the thoughts of the authors. We believe the actual words of Scripture are given by God. That it is written like it's written on purpose. Let me, let me show what I mean. Listen to what Jesus says and how he appeals to the Bible and how he talks about a verb tense. A verb tense. Matthew 22, verse 31 and 32. And as, for the and as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read, so now he's talking about the Bible, have you not read what was said to you by God? Now he's quoting the Old Testament. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. So Jesus is now, he's making a doctrinal statement about God based on a verb tense. Where Jesus says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Joseph. Jacob. I got Joseph on my mind from Sunday. He's saying that and, and Jesus is looking back and saying, he's talking about people that are alive, that have been raised. Verb tense matters. Uh, let me give you another example. Another example. Did I put that in there? Yeah, Galatians. Galatians chapter 3. Paul makes an argument. And he, argue, he makes the same argument using a singular 
pronoun. Listen, listen to the grammar. Paul writes, Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. This is Paul speaking. It does not say, talking about the Bible, it does not say, and to offsprings, see how he says singular, not plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Look, that little distinction that Paul makes when he's referring to the Old Testament, just that little distinction right there completely changes our understandings of how the promises of God work all the way down to us as Christians. Completely changes it. <laughs> Somebody let some kid in over there. That, that's why, look, that's why, we, that's why we spend so much time. That inspiration is not just uh, the authors themselves. So, much, so often we talk about the Bible being inspired and the authors being inspired by the Holy Spirit. It's true. We believe that. We think and we trust that the inspiration is not just the men that God used to write the Bible, but the actual words themselves. Now, that's important and an important distinction. That's why um, I'll spend so much time on a sermon studying the Bible. It's why I went to school to learn the original languages. It's why if you see Brian Davis walking around, he is, by the way, the resident expert on original languages. He shows off some by doing his devotion in the original language. Like he does his daily devotion in Greek. I think he's probably showing off. I don't know who he's showing off to. Maybe the Lord. I don't know who he's showing off to. But we see that as terribly important because that gives us direction. So if you hear me preaching and I'm spending some time on a paragraph or a word or a thought, it's not because I'm trying to be narrow-minded. It's because I genuinely believe this is important and I want to get it right. I don't want to show up and say something that the Bible doesn't say or say more than the Bible says or less than the Bible says. That's why your kids are in Awana. If your kids are in Awana right now, the reason we're doing this is not some sort of children's program. There are a whole lot easier things to do to entertain your children at a church. We believe it is important that they get to know the Bible. Why do we memorize things? So you can have those words in the right order. We believe it extends past the authors into the very words themselves. This is why, this is why and, and I'm sure Mike will talk about this next week. This is why we exclusively do expositional preaching. This is why every single time, if you come to Hickory Grove, whether it's me or someone else in the pulpit, the preacher is going to stand up, read the Bible, and talk about the Bible. Going to spend very little time on anything else because what's important for that worship service and what goes on there is that people not only sing to the Lord and pray, it's they hear from God. So that's why we spend so much time studying the Bible. It's because of we affirm one of our major affirmations is the verbal inspiration of the Bible. Let me give you another affirmation, a major affirmation. And that is the concursive. What a great I don't think I can use that one in a sentence. The concursive inspiration of the Bible. Concursive. That means uh, same time. What I mean by that is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, and the human authors 
wrote that together. That the Bible was written with God using the human authors. And, and let's just think about that for a moment. This is an act of the Holy Spirit that is completely unique to the prophets and the apostles. We believe in being filled with the Holy Spirit. There is an act of the Holy Spirit that is completely unique that will not be repeated. And that is writing of the Bible. For the apostles, those who were with Jesus, except Paul, who was untimely born, and the prophets. So that when I read in Jeremiah, or I'm reading in Ezekiel right now for my quiet time. I'm reading in Ezekiel, and when Ezekiel says, thus says the Lord, he has the right to do that because the Holy Spirit... I don't have the right to come in here without my Bible and stand in front of you and say, thus says the Lord to you. I don't have that. That's a unique gift that God gave the apostles and the prophets. It is divine, it's specific divine revelation. Two ways God reveals himself. The general revelation, go outside, grass is green, sky is blue. Sunset is beautiful. Sunrise, for those of you that see it, beautiful. That's evidence that God, that there is a God. He is revealing himself in nature. Specific revelation is what he's given us in the Bible. His clear, specific, revealed will. Now, there is some debate, even in theologically conservative circles right now, of something called a word of knowledge. There is some debate that... Uh, there are groups of people that I actually respect that believe that in a gathering like this, God might give a direct and divine word to that gathering through someone else. And I would just say, and I, I got this from a Puritan, I can't remember who, although I, I would have quoted him. There's a danger in that. Here's the first danger. If it, if it contradicts Scripture, then it's heresy. Somebody says, God told, me, uh, God told me to tell you that you need to kill your cousin. Well, it contradicts Scripture. It's heresy. If someone tells you something that does not contradict Scripture, and they say that is the divine revelation, well, if it doesn't contradict Scripture, it's not necessary. Right? So we've got the Bible that is shown, God has shown himself to us. And, and so Jesus, way back in Matthew 19, the scripture we started with when he's talking about marriage, Jesus considered what Moses said as actually being what God said. Okay, that's our major affirmations. Let's talk about just some, hist um, let's talk about some modes, mode of inspiration. How did God inspire? Modes of inspiration. Well, here's one uh, through historical research. You can go and read the prologue to the book of Luke. When Luke writes his gospel, in the first few verses, he gives a prologue as to why it is written like it's written. Let me read it to you. Luke, did I not put the scripture there? I mean, but I didn't put the text itself, did I? I think I decided you would go home with a 16-page document if I did that. Let me read uh, the prologue in Luke 1. And listen to the... So this is still the Holy Spirit, but here is the historical research model. 
This is what Luke writes. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. So he's doing research. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. It's a Greek name. That you may have certainty concerning the things to which you've been told. So one of the modes of, of God inspiring authors is moving them to do historical research. That's what Luke was doing. He researched all of the accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and he's telling him to a friend. Uh, the second one is, one of the modes is just observing life. Go and read the book of Ecclesiastes sometimes. If you're battling depression, don't read Ecclesiastes. But if you're feeling pretty good, go read Ecclesiastes. And you read it, and, and it's written from the perspective of somebody taking a step back and looking at how things play out in life, writing them down in Holy Scripture, and giving us some direction. John 14 gives a picture of, of God giving memory, spirit-assisted memory. Uh, 2 Corinthians 12, it's the miraculous revelation. Sometimes in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you have this occasional dictation where God says, write this down. So when we talk about inspiration, we don't mean just one specific way. We do mean that all of it, all of it, all of the Bible, every word of it is God speaking. There are some errors to avoid. Errors to avoid. We, uh, Dr. Powers is 7.30 when we get out. Okay. All right. What are the major errors to avoid? <clears throat> the first error is the denial of the superintending work of the Holy Spirit. This position, this position is one that we're, we're not going to run into um, it's one w that, that a Christian church is really just a shell of a church anymore. This, is the, this position, it dismisses all divine action in writing the Scripture. This um, version of understanding the Bible would say the Bible is just a book. Now, there are not many Christian churches that would just say that. There are some. Well, let me back up and say they're actually not Christian churches. There may be churches. There are some that would say that, that have, that have abandoned uh, Scripture so much so that they would say that God had nothing to do with that. But that's not really one of the errors that we have to avoid. The second one is uh, the denial of the human authorship of Scripture. There used to be, um, do you all have this, what I'm giving you? I wonder why I don't have it. Oh, I got it. Here it is. The, uh, the denial of the human authorship of Scripture. So this is like, we, we are theologically conservative. This usually is in the camp that is even way further theologically conservative than us. And they don't believe that man had anything to do with it, that it was only God that gave the Bible. You just don't hear of that one very much. 
I don't, I don't run into that very often. This third one is the one that is the most dangerous. This is the most troublesome to me. It's the denial of plenary inspiration. What that means is, it's the denial, this view considers some parts of the Bible inspired while others are not. This is the danger that we were headed into in the 50s and 60s and 70s as Baptists. Because nobody's going to stand up and say, we don't believe that the Bible is true. That's not what you would say. What you would say is, you have to listen, is we believe the Bible contains the truth. It's a subtle distinction, but it is a distinction. And so that's why I'm not really crazy about, although this one might be. No, it's not. I've had them before. Red letter versions. Have a, are you familiar with the red letter version of the Bible? So the red letter version has the words of Christ written in red. It really was a sales tactic to get you to buy Bibles, you know. Uh, but we don't believe that those words are necessarily more meaningful than the rest. But what a person that believes that affirms uh, that denies plenary inspiration, that says that parts of the Bible are inspired, what they might say is the words of Jesus, but nowhere else. Or they might say that you have to interpret, a lot of times you'll hear this, you have to interpret the Scripture through the ethic of Jesus. All kind of ways. I went to a bunch of liberal churches' websites today, getting ready for this. And uh, it's worded all kinds of ways to get around actually saying we don't believe the Bible. We believe the Bible isn't, not that it is the truth, that it actually contains the truth. Why this is dangerous is it becomes subjective. That, when I, what I mean is that no longer, if that's the case, no longer am I being interpreted by the Bible. Now I have become superior to the Bible, and now I demand and I deem what is authoritative and what is not. This is, this is troublesome, and this is where churches like ours were, I mean, our church wasn't specifically, denominations like ours were headed in that direction. Once that happens you then can almost choose what you do and don't believe. So that the, there are passages in the Bible, Old and New Testament, that are extremely problematic in our culture. Passages that have to do with the uh, sanctity of life. By the way, it, in the early 70s, Southern Baptists we're not completely pro-life. In some ways, we supported, supported abortion. I mean, it's on record. And we did that because we weren't holding on to the Bible. So, so you're having to do with, with life, with homosexuality. There are passages in the New Testament that speak directly to that. And if you don't think all of the Bible is inspired by God, then you can go to that passage that is problematic and you don't have to live under the authority of that passage. You see how this would be appealing. You see how if you move away from doing expositional preaching and you do topical preaching, you can avoid those problematic passages. 
This is, to me, the most troublesome because uh, it lends itself to a quiet slide away from the cross of Jesus. This is not, this is not a loud protest. This is just inching away when you start denying that it's all. The, the, fourth, um, the fourth denial is the, the denial of verbal inspiration. This, this position is a little different than C, so D is different than C a little bit. This position claims that the Spirit guided the thoughts of the biblical writers, but this did not extend to the words. So that, the, so that Paul, Paul was inspired, but not necessarily his words. And really, this is just sort of monkeying around with the Bible. This is starting to kind of be able to manipulate it. Those are some of the troublesome errors. Now, how do we enact, how do we enact this doctrine? How do we live it out? Let's talk about it a little bit um, in the next five or six minutes or so as we think about closing and walking away with what to do with it. Well, because the Scripture is, if indeed the Scripture is God-breathed, if the Bible is God-breathed, it is then divinely authoritative. Here's what I mean. We believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We live to the glory of God the Father. We're able to do that because of what God the Son has done for us. We have been given direction from God the Spirit. That's the Bible. So if that's the case, if, 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 if the Bible is God's Spirit speaking then we are called to several things. Number one, we are called to do what the Bible commands for us to do. If we believe this about the Bible, that means we submit ourselves to it. We do what the Bible calls us to do. Not only that, the second thing is, we then avoid what the Bible prohibits. You ever been... I feel like every time I sit down to have my devotion and my reading for that day seems to speak to the sins in my life. For some reason, it makes me, I have, to, I have to confess my sin to the Lord. It brings up things in my mind. I'm reminded, why, do, why does that affect me so much? Because I trust that this is indeed God speaking to me. We, we do what it commands. We avoid what it prohibits. We heed the warnings of Scripture. Ever read Proverbs uh, chapter 6 and 7? It's uh, the writer of Proverbs is he posing himself as a father and he says, um, I looked from my lattice, a young man lacking sense. And then he goes on to talk about how this young man, young man runs into this um, this woman of the world in the street. And how she entices him. And so that entire chapter is a description, is a warning the Bible is, is written there for us to heed its warnings. We not only heed its warnings, we believe its promises. We believe what the Bible says in the Old Testament and the New. What I read to you from Paul in Galatians, it spoke about the offspring that is Christ. Where, and, and in Christ, all of the promises of the Bible are made true for those who are in Christ. It's important for us to grasp that and to believe those promises. The fifth thing, is there a fifth thing on yours? I thought of more after I got done. I'll give you, this won't cost you a dime. Here's number five. 
We, we live, we, if the Bible is our authority and it is inspired by God, that means we live out the, the ethic of the Bible. That means we live out the ethics sexually. It means we live out what the Bible says about how we view other people. It means we evangelize if we genuinely believe that people without Christ are going to hell. It is our obligation to share the gospel with them if we believe that the Bible is true. If we believe that every human is, is, is made in the image of God. If you, if you really think that each human is an image bearer, you know what? That, that eradicates racism, classism. It makes us have a level of respect for other people regardless of what they believe because we believe they bear the image of God. If, if we really believe what I've just talked about for the last 45, 50 minutes, it means that, that this, this book is more than a book. It is God speaking to His children. And it gives us the means. It's an old word. It gives us what is necessary for you and I to live our lives to the glory of God. It's not enough for a church to say, believe the Bible. It's not enough for a preacher to say that. It's not enough for a, a congregation to affirm that we believe the Bible. We've got to do something with that Bible we say we believe. And I believe that Bible points us to the glory and goodness of Jesus so that we might live our lives to the glory and goodness of God. All right, enough talk about the Bible. Let's say a word of prayer and we'll be dismissed. Thank you guys for listening today. Father, thank you for your word that is good. Father, we trust your word that points us to Jesus, that gives us guidance, that convicts us of sin, that shows us your grace. We thank you for the love you've shown us in Christ and through your word. We pray for our children and grandchildren that are hearing over and over the words of the Bible. We ask, Lord, that you might open their eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to believe and minds to hold on to what your word says. We pray that you wake us up tomorrow morning and enough time to spend time with you before we start the day. Help us now and go with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. You're dismissed.